welcome to cii podcasts now your time has come especially after the ipo i thought i'll uh, catch you uh, and 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 ask you a lot of questions uh, which pertain to your journey and, uh, and let me let me start with your childhood because that's where i think your dreams must have started so how did your childhood and family background influence your aspirations i think that's most important for any entrepreneur Honestly I don't know I don't um, have any uh, any linkage between any event of my childhood to whatever I am doing or whatever I have done um although I can certainly hypothesize on a few things right so um I was a terrible student um during school um I used to be bottom of class I used to fail um there was just um, so in in class 8 uh, first semester uh, so there was like 30 35 people and i mean i'm from muksar right so this entire school was 30 35 people at uh, the class and i was i used to be the bottom of the class and there was this teacher who actually um i, I mean gave me the answers to literally every exam that i had in the first uh, semester of class 8 and i ranked third in class okay and um, i said like, this is cool and i started getting a lot of love from everyone including the parents my friends everything and um, hadn't ever felt that kind of love before <laughs> and and, uh, and and that's when i just said okay let me try this out let me actually work harder or make an effort um in the um, second semester of course i know that uh, this is this was fake the last semester was fake so what can i do um i tried to go to the one printing press guy in muksar to get the question papers up front because i was um, third in class and i'm going to land up last again so this is not going to work and i'm getting so much love didn't get anything uh, so one day before the exams in the second semester i said okay now there's no way out of this let me do something let me make some effort i made some effort i i i was fifth that's what what that's what gave me some confidence that i can do something if i want to and life's been a treadmill ever since so and that is that is a fantastic story that means with some effort you got to fifth and that was a real fifth not unreal yeah. third so after school you how did these great educational institutions in the country shape any learnings from the university phase of your life i went to chandigarh for 10 plus 1 10 plus 2 and uh, so that's where the smartest people in punjab haryana used to con- used to converge to uh, prep for their uh, jees um even in like 10 plus 1 i was bottom of class i scored 39% in 10 plus 1 just got through and then i got myself up and then figured out jee as well uh and then i got to iit delhi and then we have the smartest of all different cities and and national I, yes national right and then i go into that same loop one more time um i think the big learning for me is that um if you like continue to progress you are always going to continue meeting people better than you 
so and you're always going to have to work hard to stay uh, stay on top of the game that 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 like hard work is never going to stop and um, luckily i learned that very very early in life because i was not one of those typical kids who always stopped in school right so i've seen failure so many times so you also did masters uh, in in uh, in mathematics and you chose bain and company for few years so what was that phase like uh, your masters and then bain what was that that was start of your career um i actually had a food ordering startup right out of college in 2005 mm-hmm. um and uh, it was way too early right outside iit delhi uh, uh, right after i like graduated um i had uh, in 2005 that was um i actually had a food ordering startup uh, it didn't work it was a terrible idea for that time and um, some part of the emotional damage of that startup not working also created that delay in zomato launching the food ordering business uh, later on uh, but anyway we are we are where we are um so i actually did that and then um, i was looking for jobs because my startup didn't work interviewed at a few like companies and bain was pretty much the only company which felt welcoming to me and so i never thought i would spend more than a year anywhere but i ended up spending four years at bain i would happily go back to bain in a heartbeat if i have to so then you left bain physically full time mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. into the business mm-hmm. and between then and what time did zomato come up where is this how did this brand germinate so we got our first um, seed round from infoedge 1 million dollars um, a dollar was 47 rupees back then uh, uh, we got that seed round in july 2010 11ish years ago and um, you impressed sanjeev yes and uh, he liked us and we actually closed the deal in the first like 15 minutes of first meeting um, so and 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 like one of his team members uh, later like couple of weeks later said here foodie bay has ebay at the end and you might get a lawsuit from 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 like those guys and you should probably change the brand name and uh, we argued for a couple of days that foodie is a different word bay is a different word how is this ebay and so on and so on but then we got then we said okay cool like this makes sense we don't want trouble later and yeah. so let's go back uh, so we came up with the brand name zomato it was much better and cooler than foodie bay anyway and um, we switched in november 2010 we got a legal notice from ebay 3 days after we made the switch wow so it was very well timed yeah it was very well timed uh, in hindsight uh, we actually didn't even bother to reply to that legal notice because we had already switched the brand name No, fantastic. So Zomato, you are right, is much more powerful. If if you were the founder of Foodie Bay, I think Foodie Bay is definitely not as good as powerful as Zomato. So you did the right thing. And uh, so coming to uh, what was the original Zomato at that point when Zomato started in, in November twenty uh, ten? Yeah, uh, July. 
it was not food ordering although the base premise was to help people order food mm-hmm. right food to uh, put out a lot of scans of takeaway menus um, from various restaurants put phone numbers so that people can actually like they, we wanted to replace the drawer full of menus uh, that people used to have at homes um, so it was a food ordering replacement kind of a startup but the but the transaction didn't flow through us okay. so it was more of a content platform where users could leave reviews check out menus check out photographs of the food and the and like the ambience of the restaurant and that was that was what we did and and uh, and you covered only delhi or ncr or we covered more cities we covered delhi ncr we uh, eventually by the time we got our seed round we were in five cities oh, post seed round we got to 12 then we launched dubai before expanding further in uh, india uh, dubai we found great that product market fit um, that gave us confidence that we should expand to more countries outside of india as well back then the restaurant market in india was very very small and at um, i think in 2013 our revenue from city of dubai was more than the revenue we used to make out of india as a whole so the dubai market size was more than india dubai market it was a great decision you said yes it was good for that time right but india has grown so rapidly yeah. over the last decade but confidence hmm that india can be much much bigger yes yes so so at that time when you were launching dubai what challenges were you facing what what critical decision decisions did you did you take which today are coming right so um i think decisions uh, in hindsight were mostly wrong okay uh the, we probably should have persisted in india and like gone deeper into india and actually created a market here rather than waiting for the market to grow um and i and i actually um say this to a lot of founders who ask me this question saying that guys india might be small for you right now you might be thinking that international will double your revenue in the short term but in the long term international is going to be a small chunk of your of your revenue so if you want to go to these markets for a five year cycle of a bump in revenue for the short term go for it but you would rather be spending that much effort and time and money in building india market because that's going to be the lion's share of uh, your company's growth of course context specific right so there are some companies which only serve overseas markets i'm not talking about them i'm talking about companies which have a large business here and now are looking to expand to international um, waters so i think in hindsight we we could have done better just sticking to india so so basically india being a tough market complex market and maybe a bit slow in the beginning mm-hmm. it does push your patience yes but as to retain be keep calm keep patience keep at it keep the focus Let's see dubai in one year's time was more than india revenue for us and it took maybe 5% of the effort of india back then mm. so that's the that's the challenge right so in the short term it feels easy growth but in the long term it's actually meaningless growth when did you get the confidence that now the scale up is really happening month on month because you can see you can feel the growth month on month 
so um, honestly we started investing in india only when competition happened without that we were doing our own thing <laughs> going to international markets doing this and that we really started focusing on india when like the vc sector didn't leave us with any other choice but to do this so uh, i mean zomato was the sector earlier right like food tech was just us and uh, we used to take it for granted back then which which is not cool so yeah here we are so so you saying competition is good because it it puts you on a on a good track and makes you necessary. more partner it's necessary yes. i think yeah and brings out the best in you otherwise you can trudge along in the same way so tell me about how you have changed uh, how you have seen changing behavior of the customer during last two years in pandemic so in the pandemic the highlight from zomato point i think when the pandemic started we lost 90% of our business it's just like literally crashed to nothing right and we had all the costs sitting with us and zero revenue or zero business going in because um, last april and i know memory is fickle but um, everybody thought the non veg food leads to covid like that was the first rumor <laughs> spread <out. laughs> so uh, that was where it's that was where we like started we lost 90% of the business <clears throat> then uh, eventually we got to a point where uh, surface contamination was ruled out uh, as the primary carrier of covid or the transmitter of covid earlier we used to use the sanitizers etc so much and now nobody even bothers about us bothers about telling us that we should wash our hands right so um, i think um, that happened food delivery literally was the only entertainment option for people for a long time right so outside of netflix and everything uh, so so that's where we got a lot of new customers to try our platform a lot of people who used to only go dine out at restaurants um, whenever they used to not cook at home started ordering food the lot of premium restaurants joined the platform a lot of customers joined the platform frequency went up um, so that's what we noticed right so like average order values went up drastically and they are still holding at those levels so, but one thing dp uh, you've done very well and let me give you a very big compliment for that is the brand the matter because i went through experience of brand editor and i know how tough it is to build a solid brand high quality admired brand so tell me about your view about the brand and how you worked so hard to build it into a great national brand which today is is kind of generic so i think um my personal view is that um all profit lies in brand right so and everything else is going to get commoditized and you're not going to make any money out of it so um, people have to relate to you for something more than the commoditized service that you provide only then you will be able to charge a couple of bucks more right yeah. so i think all profit lies in brand i know it's a controversial topic because we still don't make a profit but uh, but i think all profit lies in brand 
therefore it is super duper important to focus on brand okay moving to people now uh, i think uh, you are dealing with thousands and thousands of people uh, who work for you who represent your brand who wear your t-shirts who wear your jackets who wear the brand morning evening night how do you deal with them how do you keep them motivated how do you keep them uh, efficient so it's an ongoing question you know like so i mean we started off with saying we need people to do this job let's pay them whatever we need to pay them to do the job and whatever we were paying back then was not like sustainable at all right it was maybe 5x of market salaries for that kind of scale or effort um now we are at a pretty reasonable level um i think our riders are still making 2x the amount of income compared to india's average per capita income um more than a lot of government sectors and so on and so on right so <clears throat> i think uh, uh, one of the one of the most basic things is that people our riders like and 93% of them in the like, service that we do they are actually grateful to serve and have a job now coming to this exciting experience of listing uh, i don't want to be very specific but tell us about the experience how did it come to your mind how did you decide the timing how did you decide on it because you are considered to be a pioneer of digital technology listing in india because globally before zomato listing there was a perception that indian investor domestic investor doesn't understand how the pricing of a digital technology business can be done reasonable price mm-hmm. so there was a doubt across the world that pricing in domestic india listing will may not be good enough but i think you broke that perception and after that some others have followed you but you are the you are, you are the pioneer so tell us about your experience so uh i mean when we decided to go for an ipo um it wasn't for the reasons which we think company would typically go for we were just trying to survive because covid was at its peak and fundraisers were hard and we needed money to live and uh, our first thought was even if we do a 500 million dollar valuation ipo and we raise 50 million dollars we need this ipo because every private investor had shut their pockets Right, this was this was last year may june uh, kind of a thing and uh, people nowadays tell us that oh guys you time the ipo really well and i tell them that you can't time things like an ipo right it takes a year to prepare for an ipo and in any financial market like you have no idea what's going to happen a like year from now you can time it couple of weeks up or down right that's pretty much what you can do so it was a courageous call it was not favor favor no fortune favors the brave so <laughs> yes absolutely i so think that's a, what happened it was a brave call you took because because you felt that pandemic is affecting yeah and there is a fine line between being brave and being stupid so i i am glad we we actually didn't cross the line so let's okay so so finally when it happened mm-hmm. uh, tell us about that experience 
No, I think we had really good uh, advice with us, right? So, I mean, uh, the issue of IPO pricing is really hot nowadays because uh, people say that Zomato I price their IPO well. Luckily, our IPO was also 95, 98% primary IPO. So we had no pressure of pricing it high, right? So because secondary IPOs, people are just trying to optimize for the most amount of money they can make at the time of sale. So secondary IPOs are usually priced higher than they should be uh, for the long-term health of so the primary is much better, much, primary much more real. And yes. real. I, I mean, I just advise people to just stay away from secondary IPOs, mm. right? Uh, the, there is a big conflict of interest there between the exiting people and the incoming people. Uh, what about the size? Uh, I think you talked about the pr price very well, but how did you determine the size? Because some people are saying some IPOs are too big and they should not have it that big. But in your case, I think the size was good. This was the minimum size that we could do. There, there, was, there, was a, there was a, there is, I think, a threshold that you have to do 10% of the company or something like that, right? So, uh, this was the minimum size of the IPO that we could go with. So, and we didn't, we initially wanted to go public and raise about maybe three, four hundred million dollars, but there was no choice. We wanted people to sell secondary IPO, but then we got into this, okay, like secondary IPO is going to get a lot of like pricing pressure and nobody wanted to sell anyway. So combination of that, it was the only primary IPO. I mean, and you were always very clear that you will list in India, not in NASDAQ. I've been very like patriotic that way. So, <laughs> so I think, uh, I think, uh, I mean, most of our value came from India. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure that we create enough wealth for every customer who participates in our IPO as well. So I think that these flywheels, all of us are actually like, res uh, I would say, responsible for making sure that Indians participate in the wealth creation that we do, because only then we are going to become bigger, right? It's a brand, so, it's a brand issue. Actually, IPO is also a huge brand issue. Yes, yes. I think it's a flywheel that needs to feed. Like, if more companies go public here, uh, we're going to create more wealth here, which in turn is going to make these companies bigger and it's going to continue feeding the country's growth cycle. Coming back to the industry now, uh, post-pandemic, how do you think industry should move now? From now, next two years, three years, five years. What do you think of industry? Uh, forget the matter for a minute. Mm -hmm. How will this industry grow into small towns, into villages? How will it grow? <clears throat> I think uh, what the pandemic has done is um, uh, it's made the phone one of the primary channels of buying and consumption for people, right? And that's across year one, two, three. Um, and uh, I think that behavioral that like behavioral shift has happened and a lot of internet first tech businesses are going to flourish over the next few years. Um, I mean, not all companies will succeed, of course, but like this is the time to go really long on tech and see where it lands. Another issue is your employees. 
how are you aligning your employees to your vision, your aspiration, and do you think employees uh, are showing higher degree of excitement to your vision? Are they aligned? Are they bonding to your vision? Because uh, employees provide high performance, which you need every month, every week. They are the foundation of your company. The vision, I think they actually provide me with the vision. With the vision. I just have to, I just have to clear the noise for everybody. My job is not to set up the vision. Like I think everybody else comes with it. I just have to remove the barriers and the noise and the clouds um, just to give clarity. Uh, my job is the clarity seeker. It's not the vision maker. Um, and I think we have a great team. They know what to do. Um, and I actually struggle to continue growing to be able to continue adding value to the organization. And I think that's a pretty good place to be at. My last question. Uh, how have you changed in last 10 years? What is DP in 2010 and what is DP in 2021 post-IP? I think one of the one of the primary things that has changed is um, my ability to trust my team and let go. Uh, and that like inevitably had to happen with scale, right? So, um, I mean, at a at some point, I was the I was the one biggest thing standing in the way of the business, right? So, and I think I solved that to a reasonable extent, not fully yet. You're not coming on the way, more or less. So that which is fantastic. You you have let go. And because letting go for some people is tough, it's not easy. And yeah. and because you trust people, you have confidence in your team. I think, and I was able to trust people because I really spent a lot of time with our team, right? So I know inside out of most of the key people that I trust my life, like I trust them with my life. So, so uh, coming to my last question now, sorry. Uh, there are many founders and entrepreneurs like you, so unicorns, there are 70, 75 unicorns now, who are at this stage where they already made a business reasonable size, not a big size, but reasonable size, maybe medium size. Some have already gone through IPOs in the last six months. Many more IPOs are coming in the next one year. What is your advice to those founders, those entrepreneurs about this change, to this transition of letting go and professionalizing the corporation is very, very critical for long-term success. I think um, watching your ego and making sure it doesn't come in the way of your work and your uh, relationship with the team, that's the most important thing. And um, and uh, I mean, the biggest, uh, the biggest the biggest uh, question that most founders face is that, hey, I can do this faster and better than that guy, right? Of course, that's your job to be able to do this particular thing faster and better than the other guy. But if you start doing everything, nothing is going to get done. So sometimes letting somebody else take twice the amount of time to do something is faster than you doing everything. Right. So I think that's one it once it hit me, I let go. Very good. 
that's a very good conclusion and very good advice to the founders who are at your stage of life who have long way to go but have to sustain high performance for next 10 20 30 years and make a global corporation so so dipi it's been a great pleasure talking to you uh, i'm sorry i may have asked you some uncomfortable questions but but your answers were not uncomfortable your answers were candid and i loved the first part the best part was of course your school so <laughs> i don't think your journey this is all a fluke <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh, i'm really grateful for your time now, on behalf of cii we are really thankful for your time and this lessons of entrepreneurial journey which you have shared with us will be very gratifying to many many hundreds and thousands of young entrepreneurs of india thanks thank you thank you so much for your kindness thank you for listening to cii podcasts